We're going to go to the book of Isaiah tonight, Isaiah chapter 18. The book of Isaiah in chapter 18. Book of Isaiah. chapter number 18. We're going to read the whole chapter. It's just seven verses. And then as we get into this, we're going to back up just a little bit. We're not going to cover a whole lot, but I'd like for you to follow along as we back up just a little bit to touch a little bit in the prior chapters uh, just to see what God has for us here that we can look at everything in its context uh, because we don't want the Bible to say what we want it to say. We want the Bible to speak for itself. And I think that I think it's going to take that just to make everything come together. So Isaiah chapter 18 verse number 1. The Bible says, Woe to the land shadowing with wings, which is beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, that sendeth ambassadors by the sea, even in vessels of bulrushes upon the water, saying, Go ye swift messengers to a nation scattered and peeled, to a people terrible from their beginning uh, hitherto, a nation meted out and trodden down, whose land the rivers have spoiled. Excuse me. All ye inhabitants of the world and dwellers on the earth, see ye when he lifteth up an ensign on the mountains, and when he bloweth a trumpet, hear ye. For so the Lord said unto me, I will take my rest. I will consider in my dwelling place like a clear heat upon the herbs, and like a cloud of dew in the heat of harvest. For afore the harvest, when the bud is perfect, and the sour grape is ripening in the flower, He shall both cut off the sprigs with pruning hooks and take away and cut down the branches. They shall be left together unto the fowls of the mountains and to the beast of the earth. And the fowls shall summer upon them and all the beast of the earth shall winter upon them. In the time shall the present be brought unto, uh, uh, in that time shall the present be brought unto the Lord of hosts of a people scattered and peeled. And from a people terrible from their beginning hitherto, a nation meted out and trodden underfoot, whose land the rivers have spoiled, to the place of a name of the Lord of of the name of the Lord of hosts, the Mount of Zion. I titled the message, What in the World is Going On? And uh, we're going to try to figure that out here in a few minutes. Father, now we pray one more time just for your help. Uh, Lord, in presenting this message and clarity of thought, clarity of speech, the help we need to just stay on track, uh, Lord, that uh, that your point would be gotten across the way that uh, you you would want it uh, to be done. Uh, we need uh, we need that unction that only you can give, Lord, the boldness of the Holy Spirit to preach this message. We pray and thank you for your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for standing for the reading of the Word of God. And please do be seated. Our world today consists 
exist in a constant state of unrest. I don't think I'm going to get any argument there whatsoever. And for all the bold, for all the bold talk of world peace, I'm really confident that no sane person living today actually believes that that's ever going to be achieved. World peace. And without a doubt, we live in the most advanced culture that this world has ever seen since sin was introduced in the Garden of Eden. Yet the world is out of control today, just as out of control today as it's ever been. Um, War is just as uh, prevalent. Injustice is just as frequent. Hatred and violence are rampant. And we can only imagine what would happen if a nation like Iran or North Korea or even Russia were finally, would finally decide to go nuclear. I mean, what would go on? And when people address these issues in our world, one question seems to come up over and over again. People want to know, when will it ever end? And as far as I can tell, there's no end in sight for such, for these things. One thing that we do understand about manners such as war and injustice and hatred and violence is that these are not new things. They're not new. These are ancient problems of the human race for which no solution has ever been found. What do you mean, preacher? Well, wars don't end wars. The death of tyrants don't prevent uh, future tyrants. Peace treaties may bring an interruption of hostilities, but certainly they don't end the hatred that burns in the hearts of those that are killing each other. And nowhere is that more visible in our world today than in the Russian-Ukraine war. They talk of peace treaties, but the killing continues, doesn't it? Just keeps on going. And again, we ask, when, when will it ever end? And uh, that's a question that God answers for us in this section of Isaiah's prophecy. He answers it by showing us five divine forces uh, that are ever at work in the affairs of the world. I'm talking about five forces that are meant to convince us that men, men do not rule this world. God does. God rules this world. So... That message is delivered in a series of three prophecies. Two are introduced as burdens or weighty messages. And the final message is introduced uh, uh, as the word, by the word woe, a, a word associated with misery and with grief. So let's think about the three prophecies. It starts with the burden of Moab. Turn back to, to chapter number 15. We're not going to read a lot, but we're going to touch some things here. The burden of, of Moab. It's really found in verses, uh, chapters 15, 16. Moab was a tiny nation, and it was a tiny nation that's sandwiched between the eastern coast of the Dead Sea and the western border of the Arabian Desert. So we have to remember that the conquest of Canaan by the Assyrian army was almost complete. And at the time of this prophecy was given, Moab had escaped uh, assault, uh, a fact which they apparently boasted about to their neighboring nations. And historically, Moab never amounted to much. What do you mean by that? Well, it was always been small. It always been insignificant, a nation of virtually no importance, big importance. Uh, and and at, at, at no time in its history had it ever posed any real threat to his neighbors as such. And in this prophecy, Moab represents all the small, uh, obscure nations that have existed through the course of human history. And it bears no real influence on world affairs as a nation in which no other nation attached any great significance whatsoever. And the prophecy is composed of three different parts. Uh, uh, the declaration of, it, of its sudden and complete uh, destruction 
And its suddenness is found there in chapter 15, verse 1, where it says this. The burden of Moab, uh, because in the night, uh, in the night are of Moab is laid waste and brought to silence, because in the night Kerr of Moab is laid waste and brought into silence. And so it, it, says, it says two times in the night that Moab is laid to waste. And it's laid to waste, come on mouth, it's laid to waste in its completeness. Look down to verse number nine there in chapter 15. It says this, for the waters of diamond shall be full of blood. For I will bring more upon diamond, lions upon, escapeth, lions upon him that escapeth of Moab and upon the remnant of the land. And so the river of diamond would run red with blood. And there's an offer of salvation to, to, to this. Boy, God is, just, God is just ruthless and God is just a God of hatred in the Old Testament, isn't he? No, no, he's not. Because in chapter 16, verse 1, it says this. Send ye the lamb to the ruler of the land from, the, from uh, Selah to the wilderness unto the mount of the daughter of Zion. So there's an offer of salvation. To Moab, God says, send a lamb. Now we know that very well, that the lamb is a picture of the sacrifice of Christ. And if they send a lamb, Moab would be signifying their need of God's forgiveness. And by turning to the Lord, the Moabites could find sanctuary with Judah and escape the judgment that had been prophesied. Uh, there was a reason for that judgment, by the way. It's found in verse number 6 of chapter 16. It says, we have heard of the pride of Moab. He is very proud, even of his haughtiness and his pride and his wrath, but his lies shall not be so. The reason for the judgment was pride. God offered salvation, but Moab was too proud to accept it. Pride's a terrible sin. It not only invites the judgment of God, but it keeps a lot of people from receiving the salvation of God. God offers it up and, and because of their pride, they said, ah, we don't need that. Did they need it? Oh yes, absolutely so. They, they, absolutely they needed it. But they would not receive it because of their pride. And because Moab was too proud to turn to the Lord within three years, found in verse number 14 there in chapter 16, within three years, Moab would be all but completely destroyed. And then we have the burden of Damascus. That's found here in, in chapter 17. We know Damascus is the capital of Syria. Syria had joined with the northern kingdom called Ephraim in opposition to the Assyrians and against Judah at the beginning of the reign of Ahaz. And at the time of this prophecy, Damascus, come on, brain, Damascus has been crushed by the Assyrians upon, uh, uh, crushed by the Assyrians about five years earlier in 732 BC. And for that reason, the prophesied destruction of Damascus in verse 1 and 2 would occur at a later date. Chapter 17, verse 1, the burden of Damascus, behold, Damascus is taken away from being a city and it shall be a ruinous heap. The cities of Aurora are forsaken. They shall be for flocks which shall lie down and none shall make them afraid. So twice 
in, in chapter 17, in this, we read the words, uh, that day. It's found, in verse, it's found in verse number 4. And in that day it shall come to pass that the glory of Jacob shall be made thin, the fatness of the flesh shall wax lean. And also in verse 7, and that day shall a man look to his maker, and his eyes shall have respect to the Holy One of Israel. So twice we see that, that day. So the final fulfillment of this prophecy is yet future. It's yet future. The fulfillment of this is yet future. Come on, stay with me here. I know it's a lot to take in, but we're headed somewhere. It's, it's yet future. Uh, future when? During the tribulation. It's going to happen during the tribulation, that day. It's during tribulation time when this is going to take place. So Damascus is sometimes said to be the oldest continuing city in the world. It's been conquered a lot of times down through history, but it's never been wiped out of its existence. Never. So God directs this prophecy against Damascus, uh, the capital rather than Syria, the nation. Get this. Because God wants to think in terms of government, those that rule a nation. He wants us to think in terms of government. So here we have a nation, Syria, that's lost its power. And the city changes hands. And this is a picture, this is a picture of the rise and fall of nations as governments change hands. And that's described in verse, uh, verse number 10. Look at that. It, it says, because thou hast forgotten the God of thy salvation. Well, that should make you stop and ponder for just a minute, shouldn't it? Okay, come on. Has the United States of America all but forgotten the God of their salvation? Oh yeah, no, it's very apparent. It's very apparent, more apparent all the time. Because thou hast forgotten the God of thy salvation and hast not been mindful of the rock of thy strength, therefore thou shalt, uh, uh, therefore shalt thou plant pleasant plants and thou shed it, uh, shalt set it with strange slips. So, so the city is compared to a garden that is first planted with pleasant plants and then strange slips. What does that mean? Okay, one ruler is established in power, a pleasant plant. Then this foreign power comes along and takes it over, a, a strange slip. And that's exactly what happened in Damascus repeatedly throughout history. And that cycle will be brought to an end during the tribulation when Damascus finally and fully is finally and fully destroyed when it becomes a ruinous heap, as we read there in chapter, uh, verses 1 and 2. And God gives us two reasons for its destruction. Because the nation had forgotten God. Well, when did they know God? No, they came to know God under the reign of King David. I mean, at one time, they were God-fearing people at one time. But also, number two, because the nation had joined with Israel in robbing and spoiling Judah. We see that in verse number uh, 14 there. And behold, at eventide trouble. And before the morning, he is not. Thus is the portion of them that spoil us and a lot of them that rob us. So, in Moab, we have a picture of all the small relatively insignificant nations that have arisen and fallen through the course of human history. Uh, God wants us and them to know that though they are small and insignificant, 
they will not pass under the radar of either God's work of salvation or his work of judgment. God is still God. He's still God. And then in Damascus, we have a picture of all the governments of nations, whether kings or dictators or presidents. It's a picture. Oh, no, no. You go, I want you to go back and look at this. I'm telling you that this is, well, preacher, you know, we, we, it'd really be good to know about future things and all, wouldn't it? Yeah, but it takes some mind power. It takes some thinking. Come on, I want to give you this, but I'm telling you, you got to be, you got to stay tuned in on this. This is, this is good stuff. I'm telling you, and it's good for us to know this. And if we're going to get into the book of Revelation this year, which we are really looking to do, and we're going to have the mindset of, well, we're going to have to come in and think about this for a while. And that's where we are. So as God holds nations, listen to me, please. As God holds nations responsible for their sins, God holds governments accountable for the decisions they make especially when it comes to their attitudes towards God and towards the Jewish people. That's why it's been very important over all the years that we have stood with Israel and that we should have stayed one nation under God. Very important. But because we have pretty much all but forsaken God in the United States of America, and now we have a government that's sitting up there that really cares nothing about Israel, we're not in very good shape, are we? No, just continue to kind of plummet downhill. Well, you're a prophet of doom. It's just the way it is. And we need to look at things that, the way that they are. No, I'm talking about the way that God sees things. It's important that we look at it this way. All who make war on God's people will suffer the same fate. It was proven over and over in the Bible. You read your Bible. Proven over and over again. And the unnamed nation in chapter number 18 where we read. Identified very ambiguously as to its location. This unnamed nation is bent on conquest and it sends out messengers by sea and it's looking for a nation that is invasion ready. It talks about being scattered, that's weak, and it talks about being peeled. And when it talks about being peeled there uh, in in verse number 18, uh, verse number seven, uh, it's a reference, a reference of a shaved head. What's that all about? Well, it wasn't uncommon for the conquering nation to shave the heads of its captives, whether it be male or female, as a sign of their humiliation. And so they're looking for a place of conquest. And it talks about a people that's terrible. And that just means terrified or full of of fear. And it says they're meted out. They're trodden down. They are spoiled. Uh, So this nation, been on conquest raises its banner on a mountain as a sign of victory. Where do you see that? In verse number three, where it says, All ye inhabitants of the world and dwellers of the earth see ye when he lifteth up an ensign on the mountains, and when he bloweth a trumpet, when he bloweth a trumpet, hear ye. 
So it, 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 it raises his banner and then it blows its trumpets of war signifying its attack. And with that picture in mind, God has something to say concerning, listen to me, God has something to say concerning himself to all the nations of the world at this point. And that's found in verse number four in chapter 18. For so the Lord said unto me, I will take my rest and I will consider in my dwelling place like a clear heat upon herbs and like a cloud of dew in the heat of harvest. So he says this, listen, concerning, concerning his peace, his peace, I will take my rest. Well, preacher, I mean, what's what? Um, I'm not sure I'm getting this. Here's what he's saying: all these matters, all this stuff going on, does not alarm God at all. I'll say it again. Well, all these wars and rumors of wars, it does not bother God at all. It does. Okay. <clears throat> really and truly, if it does not bother God, it should not bother God's people. Come on, we're under His banner, right? And if it doesn't bother Him, it shouldn't bother us. Come on, if, if, if God can rest, we should be able to rest. Truly. No, no, no. There's a lot of people. No, there's a lot of people that are watching the news and reading the newspaper and all this stuff and they're just up in arms and they're up in the air and what are we going to do and what's going to happen? I'm telling you, God's still in control. God's in control. And no matter what happens, we can trust Him. And our faith and trust should be in Him. That doesn't mean we shouldn't prepare. That doesn't mean we shouldn't take care of our stuff. Doesn't mean we shouldn't keep. I mean, but but there's no there's no sense in us just fretting and fuming over this. Come on, this does not alarm God at all. And whether we speak of Assyrians or Babylonians or Nazis or communists or Muslims, the Russian, whoever, I'm telling you, this does not bother God at all. He's not up there wringing his hands wondering what in the world's going to happen next. That's not our God. No. And he talks about God's greatness because it says that God is in his dwelling place. In his dwelling place high above this world. And he looks down and he sees everything that's going on everywhere he knows. And none of it at all is catching him by surprise. Nothing that happens down here can change anything there. Doesn't change a thing. No, no. No, no. It doesn't change a thing. Well, how come, preacher? Because God is sovereign. He's sovereign. Oh, look at, look at verse 5. We're, no, we're moving great now here. Look at verse 5. For for the harvest, when the bud is perfect and the sour grape is ripening in the flower... He shall both cut off the sprigs with the pruning hooks and take away and cut down the branches. They shall be left together unto the fowls of the mountains and to the beast of the earth. And the fowls of, uh, shall summer upon them and all the beasts of the earth shall winter upon them. So it talks of God's sovereignty, this, this harvest. And when it talks about the harvest, it's talking about a day of judgment. 
And here's the thing about God's judgment. God's judgment is never too early. And it's never too late. God is always right on time. It's always when, listen, listen. It's always when the fruit of man's sin is ripe for judgment. Come on, Bible readers. You know, come on, that should, that should ring a bell with you. When, when the fruit of man's sin is ripe for judgment, that's when God finally does what only God can do. That's up to him. But he has a purpose. Look at verse 7. In that time shall the present be brought unto the Lord of, uh, of hosts of a people scattered and peeled, and from a, a people terrible from their beginning hitherto, a nation meted out and trodden underfoot, whose land the rivers have spoiled, to the place of the name of the Lord of hosts of Mount Zion. So at that time, God's perfect given time, when the, ambassadors and, and, uh, when the ambassadors of kings are going out in conquest, as, de- as described in verse number two, a present will be brought to the Lord. A present, yeah, a present of people. A present of people. A present of people redeemed out of the very nations that others intend to conquer. God's still in the soul salvaging business. He's still in the soul saving business. And no matter how bad things get, and no matter how bad things get, God is still concerned about the souls of men and women and boys and girls. And these people, this present brought to God, they're not brought as slaves in some earthly kingdom. No, 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 no. But as the saved in God's eternal kingdom in Zion. So, just a little explanation. We're, we're, doing, we're doing good here. This prophecy is really very broad in its scope. Meaning that it's taking the entire history of the world, really from Babel uh, to the present. With all of its wars and violence and hatred and injustice. And so there are four truths that God wants us to see here. Number one is the justice of God prevailing over the injustice of man. Sinful nations and sinful people are always judged by God in His time. In His time. Come on, stay with me here, please. A few more minutes. Stay with me here. In His time. There is coming a day that all wrongs will be righted. All sins will be judged. There's coming that time. Well, I'm telling you, I don't understand why God lets all of this go on. I, don't look to me to make me to tell you how to completely understand that. I don't completely understand it either. There's a lot of things that, that I would love to see shut down, absolutely, as I know that you would too. But we're not God. There is a God in heaven. And when that time is right, the time is going to come that God will right all the wrongs. He will. 
And so once again, once again, no, no, once again, we can rest in the fact that God is in control. The, the record of human history is not, is not just of that, of the um, atrocities of men inflicted upon the fellow man. It is also a record of God bringing nations down in the, uh, uh, in the, in, uh, God bringing nations down in judgment for those sins, isn't it? Come on, Bible readers, help me out here. I'm telling you, over and again, we see it where finally, finally, the fruit of sin is ripened enough and it's over. Okay, prime example, Sodom and Gomorrah. He gave them a lot of chances. He sent prophets their way. But when the time, God's time was right, it was done. Judgment fell. So the four truths. Number one, the justice of God prevailing over the injustices of man. Number two, the sovereignty of God overruling. I love this. Overruling the governments of men. See, there's nothing that men can do on this earth that will overthrow the purposes of God in heaven. Not going to happen. Psalm 115 verse 2 says, Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Oh, where's your God now? He's in the heavens. Uh, He's resting. None of this is catching him by surprise. He knows. No, no. He's got a plan and it's all going to be fulfilled one day. Come on. Mm. (laughs) Number three. The heart of God. We've got to get this one. The heart of God reaching out to fallen man. I touched it briefly. The Moabites could find forgiveness through a lamb. Those that that were conquered in Syria could find salvation by simply turning from their idols and looking unto God their maker. There in chapter 17. All they had to do, what they have to do, turn from their idols to a wonderful God in heaven. Everything would have been fine for them. Everything would have worked out just just fine. Those ripe for conquest from man's perspective were, listen, listen, were ripe for evangelism from God's perspective. <laughs> How many times have we seen that in the aftermath of wars and disasters? The people are ripe for evangelism. Okay? I think about Brother Ron Jackson over there in Ukraine right now. And preaching to those soldiers as they go off to possible doom. And how ripe they are for evangelism. We want to hear about your God. We want to hear what you have to say. I remember after 
People wanted to know what was going on. People wanted to know what, uh, what the, uh, 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 God had to say about all of this. Uh, I remember preaching out at a, at a, a Christian school uh, out in California just shortly after 9-11 happened. And over 70 young people trusting Jesus Christ as their Savior. I mean, just hungry. They had to be saved. Had to be saved. We got to be saved. No, no, no. Because of the disaster that had fallen. I'm telling you, no, no. Our world right now, when everybody's wondering, is this it? Are we coming to the end? I mean, is this, is this, is this it? What's going to happen now, preacher? What's going to go on? I mean, are we really that close? Yes. Yes, we're close. Well, what can I do about that? Look, in, look unto Jesus. And be saved. Come on. No, 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 no. Right now, our world, our society is, is ripe for evangelism. It's a great time to decide that we are going to carry the gospel out to this lost and dying world. Because people are wondering, is the end near? And all I can say is, Yes. Yeah, no, no, come on. We see it unfolding right there in our Bible. If you read the Bible at all, we see it unfolding very clearly. I mean, things coming together where you're going to try to decide when and where. No, 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 no. No man knows for sure. But how can it be denied? I mean, if you're reading the Bible and, and, and watching what's going on around the world, how can it be denied that it's not going to be very long before the church is raptured out of here and the tribulation period starts? I mean, it's the perfect time to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. That's right. And it's important that people do it now, isn't it? Right. So very important. And so we've got all this stuff going on. What in the world's going on? I'm telling you, we're down close to the end times. Well, good grief, what should we do? We should make sure that we've trusted Jesus as our personal Savior, first and foremost. That's exactly what we should do. And then number four, the kingdom of God triumphing over the kingdoms of men. Because it will happen. It will happen. Look, no matter what happens, no matter what happens in our world, if, if everybody flips out and starts punching buttons... Come on, if Iran and, and, and China and North Korea and Russia, they all start punching buttons, United States starts blowing this world apart. It really doesn't matter about the kingdoms of men because the kingdom of God will triumph over all of that. Revelation 11 verse 15 says this. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord. That's good stuff right there, ain't it? And of his Christ. And, no, no, listen. And he, God, the Lord, shall reign forever and ever. He shall. So it doesn't matter. If we start, come on, I'm, I'm writing it down. It does not matter if we start with, with Babylon or Moab or Damascus or any other nation in history. It really doesn't matter. 
in the end of all of this, every other kingdom will fall and only the kingdom of God will remain. And only those that know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior will be there. And that's a fact. A fact. One Bible commentator, G. Campbell Morgan, he said this. I thought this was good. Listen to this, what he said. The supreme value of this prophecy is its revelation of the strength and sufficiency of Jehovah for the accomplishment of his purpose, even in the presence of turmoil and opposition and overwhelming odds. Recognize that Jehovah is watching and preparing and will act at the proper moment. And he will. Look, no one can guarantee that war won't come to America. I believe that was proven at 9-11. No, no one can guarantee that war won't come over here. No one can guarantee that you and I may, may fall prey to the injustice of evil people. It happens way too much. It's happened to God's people before and it's happening today in very large measure around this world. One-fifth of those who profess to be Christians in the world today live with a reality of real persecution. Not just having doors slammed in their face. Real persecution. The threat of death. Our perspective of such matters uh, I'm sorry. Our, per, our perspective of such matters is not meant to rest in the sense of security but in the reality of God's sovereignty. Okay, once again, men, uh, men do not rule this world. God does. God does. So we, we must not live in fear of that which might happen in this world. We must not live in fear. We're looking for the upper taker, right? We need to live in faith in the God who controls this world. Again, men do not rule this world. God rules this world. Therefore, now I'm finishing right here. Therefore, we must not allow ourselves to be caught up in a riptide of human politics. Well, I, but you know, but we should keep up with stuff. I'm, I'm all for you. Keep up with stuff. Absolutely so. Yeah, we ought to be informed people. But as born-again children of God, we must be a people committed to pursuing God's purpose in this world. God's purpose. Come on, I think we've forgotten it. I think we've let it fall by the wayside. We're wrapped up in our churchianity. And as long as we're going through our rituals of, you know, coming to church and carrying our Bible and stuff, Boy, we must be good. But God left us here with purpose. And whatever else we might know about that purpose, we know that it involves reaching the peoples of the world with the gospel. 
I'm talking about people who will one day be brought to God as a, as a present of redeemed people, saved to live in that eternal Zion. And that's something worth living for. The only thing that you are going to take to heaven with you are those that you have shared Jesus Christ with. And let me encourage you, uh, that's not somebody else's job. That's your job. However you might be led to do it. Passing out tracts everywhere you go, inviting people to church wherever you go. However you, might, however you might do it. Trying to get people to listen to you as you share with them your own salvation testimony, how God saved your soul, changed your life. However you might choose to do it. No, no, no. God left us here for a purpose. And we need to be asking ourselves, am I fulfilling that purpose? Or are we so wrapped up in world events, worldly things going on, and man, it's it's just eating me up, and I can't sleep, and I'm telling you, what's going to happen next, and what's going to go on? Listen, just rest in the Lord. He's in control. Take all of that energy and use it to get the gospel out to a lost and dying world. What in the world's going on? Well, here's the answer for that. God knows. God knows. And He wants us to be busy about His business. Telling people about Jesus Christ. Let's not lose sight of that. And if we have lost sight of it, maybe it's time that we uh, revived that in our life. That we got a burden for those people that we pass by. Because everybody's got a soul. Everybody's going to exist somewhere forever. What are we doing about that? Are we so wrapped up in worldly affairs that we have forgotten the purpose that God saved us then left us on this world? Let's trust Him with the future. Let's be about His business. Let's all stand. Stand. Stand with me, would you? Let's stand. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that you are a sovereign God, all-powerful and in control. And no matter what is going on, whether on the other side of the world or right here in St. Joseph, America, um, you're still in control. The bad things that happen, it's a result of sin that entered into this world so many years ago. And things will continue to happen like that. We don't like it. But they will. And Lord, help us to be prayerful. But the only way that we are going to change anything or anybody is by getting them to you. By sharing the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And I'm thankful that we, even as you rest, that we can rest in you. Um, Just help us, Lord, to have a burden to tell others about Jesus before it's too late. And Father, if there's someone in here that does not know Christ, I pray You'd impress upon their heart, even now, how important it is that they would get that settled before it is too late. God, work in our midst, even tonight. Help us, Lord. There may be those that just need to come and ask You to give them a burden again. Lord, whatever needs to happen these next few minutes ahead, we pray it will, for we ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Piano's going to play.